Hey everyone, and welcome to another amazing episode of Bottomless Coffee Podcast. I'm your host, Jerome Evans, and you can find me on social media at, at Jerome T. Evans. Now, you've heard the expression, a fool and his money are soon parted. Well, today we're talking about financial literacy, so maybe we'll be less foolish by the end of this conversation than we are now here at its beginning. And I think that this will be a fun conversation. I often make the assumption that people know what they're doing with money, uh, which is really funny because I was terrible with money for a very long time. (laughs) But you could not have told me that I was anything other than amazing until I, like the fool I just referenced, was parted from that money. But by then it was too late. So don't be like me. Listen to the whole episode uh, and learn a little bit. And of course, no worries, I am good now. Well, today we are here with Derek Gran, Gran or Gran? Gran. Gran, I'm from the Gran. South, Derek, and so all of my <laughs> vowels are, wi- are wi- wide. <laughs> we are here with Derek Gran. Uh, he is a business education teacher, adjunct professor, small business owner, and MBA holder. How you doing, Derek? I am doing great. I, I've been really looking forward to this. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm usually talking with a lot of my students about personal finance. So I'm excited to uh, have a, we'll say a little bit more adult conversation about it, which will be fun. I'm excited for you to drop some knowledge. Now, you and I met through the Education Policy Fellowship in uh, beautiful freezing, frigid Washington, D.C. just a few months ago. Uh, how was that experience for you? That was one of the more, I would say, eye-opening and rewarding experiences that I've gone through. Uh, just kind of seeing how our political system is run and operated, um, getting the chance to visit with a lot of great people such as yourself. Um, and just, yeah, that, that experience was just really worthwhile. And, and I'm hoping that it's going to be able to continue to pay dividends down the road, um, whether that be through your education policy fellowship or like I said, just kind of the network and opportunities that that's created. Yeah, I agree that it was wonderful. And we're gonna, I feel as though there will be a lot of our fellow fellows on the podcast over the next few uh, weeks and months and maybe even years. Uh, It seems like a a lifelong kind of bond, you know, which is funny since it was a three day trip to DC, but we know we've got a lot in common. Um, let's get back a little bit to financial literacy. I think that most of the people uh, listening to this think that they are, that we are financially literate. Um, is that the case? Are we just wrong? Or, <laughs> or at the very least, like maybe start with some definitions. Like what does financial literacy mean from your point of view? Well, I, I think that there's a lot of things to unpack when you talk about financial literacy. You know, financial literacy can be something as simple as you know understanding that hey, when I make money, I can't spend all of it uh, because I need to have some left over in case you know an emergency or something like that comes up. Um, to anything more advanced, such as once you start getting to a more comfortable point in your life, how can you start investing your money? How can you make that money work for you? Um, And I think a large part of understanding and and being strong when it comes to financial literacy um, is understanding that money can either help or it can harm you. Hmm. Um, And there's there's a lot of, you know, different types of advantages that you can generate for yourself by having, you know, money and wealth built up. Um, And then obviously there's a lot of people that can struggle, especially if you're thinking about uh, putting yourself in a hole, whether that be through debt um, you know, one of the big things that we notice in the world today is related to, uh, you know, kind of the student loan crisis. We have a lot sure. of young adults that are getting set behind um, because they're, they haven't necessarily been informed on what they need to do. Um, so all of a sudden, you know, you're signing away your, your life basically at 18 um, without the backing and understanding to know if that's going to be a wise um, financial yeah. decision. So that's, that's kind of it to me, that it's, it's very unique depending on what is your salary, what is your family situation, what location do you live in. Um, there's a lot of things that, you know, there really is to unpack in, in terms of what is financial literacy. 
So like when kids come into your classroom on their first day, let's say your youngest kids, like do they have any concept at all of financial literacy or is it just like, <laughs> it's like, please don't give me all of your money. Do they come in and they just like start handing you cash? Or what? <laughs> um, I, I wish maybe sometimes that was the case, um, but no, not quite. Um, so we, we are actually fortunate. So I teach in uh, Breckenridge, um, Minnesota, which is, is more so a rural part of, uh, you know, Minnesota. I'm guessing you get a lot of, uh, Minneapolis listeners. So I'm, I'm originally, um, you know, a golden gopher. So I'm familiar with the area. Um, I do know that probably a lot of people down in the cities might not understand, you know, our clientele that we maybe work with a little bit more, again, more so rural community that we have. Um, and I would say when I was growing up and I'd make the assumption probably when you're growing up as well too, um, a lot of us may have had jobs when we were younger. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you, you were working when you were in high school. Um, and that's not entirely the case for a lot of our youth anymore. Um, so that, that's one of the first kind of difficulties that, that I've had to work through with a lot of our students is they, they don't necessarily understand that putting in time and work correlates with getting money. Um, sure. which, which is a little bit of a difficult thing um, when, when you're trying to talk about, well, how do you actually value money? You know, if, if you throw out $1,000 and say that that's a lot of money for a high school kid, they're going to believe you. Yeah. Um, whereas I would say for adults, when you look at $1,000, well, that'd be nice to make it through the month, but it's really not all that much of a difference maker. Um, so yeah. for a lot of kids that I end up getting um, through the class then, um, it's very much that I've noticed that the kids that have, you know, jobs and understanding a little bit in terms of that some of their taxes are taken out, it's very different compared to kids that have not had those experiences yet. Um, and in Breckenridge, we, um, we now do have personal finance as a graduation requirement, which mm -hmm. is kind of working towards a thing in the state of Minnesota. It's not quite there yet. Um, I think at my last count, there's 21 states um, that currently have personal finance as a requirement. Um, Minnesota not being one of them, but it's, sure. it's, it's in the works. Um, so, but, so, oh, sure. I, I will go ahead. I just wanted to let you know, you, you never know who the audience will be for bottomless coffee podcast. We've, uh, we went global, uh, early last year. And so, you know, I, I presume there will be people in Breckenridge or certainly be some people in the twin cities, but all over the world, Derek, people are going to tune in for this lesson on financial literacy. And it's really interesting. You brought up student loans. Um, and I did take out student loans when I was younger and I had no idea really what I was signing. It was, they were kind of presented to me more like a prerequisite to get into college. They were like, okay, here, here's the deal, Jerome. You go to school, you get good grades, you rack up as many scholarships as you can. Uh, and then you take out loans for whatever the rest is to get to the school that you want to get into. But nowhere in the conversation are they like, okay, these are this is the amount of loans that you're taking out, which means that to live a happy, comfortable life, you have to take a job that makes this amount of money because <laughs> this is what you're estimated rent or mortgage payment will be these will be your utilities this will be your student loan payment for x number of years uh etc and so uh i'm i'm a little curious you probably don't use student loans as an example but do, like in your classes but do kids come in with any working understanding of debt like at all generally not a whole lot other than that I borrowed money from my friend for lunch last week and now I owe them money back. Um, so okay. it's, it's, it's really, um, the, the understanding of debt is, you know, not quite there for them. And, you know, it's, it's kind of funny that you bring that up cause it's taken me down memory lane a little bit too. Hmm. When, when I, you know, took all my student loans, um, I think that a lot of it was kind of pitched that, you know, your scholarships, your grants, your student loans, that was just all kind of money that was essentially given to you. Don't worry about it for four years. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you graduate and you're like, well, I got a bunch of money I got to pay back. Yeah. Um, and I think, especially for me, because um, I did take a personal finance class when I was in high school, but the knowledge that I was probably able to grasp from it was probably not as strong as, uh, as it could have been. 
Um, whereas I thought that, you know, you work hard and you graduate from college and all of a sudden a six figure salary is just something easy that you're going to come by. Yeah. Um, without understanding that, you know, the median salary is probably closer to about, you know, 40, 50,000. Um, mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden that amount that you're borrowing, um, seems a, a lot larger than you originally thought. All of a sudden now you have a year's worth of salary that's debt. Um, and it's a little bit of a surprise then. Um, and unfortunately we have a lot of young people that go through that. And you can, just thinking about current events and how much the value of um, housing has increased just over the last couple of years during the pandemic, even if you are like relatively well prepared, uh, the, those variables in your equation can rise dramatically and really kind of throw things, throw you for a loop if you're not keeping, uh, keeping an eye on it. Yeah, and I mean, if we think about how we want to be able to build some of our young people for success, yeah. um, as you said, like the housing market, as that creeps up, as student loans creep up, and we don't necessarily see a lot of our salaries that are increasing mm -hmm. at that same rate, um, you can, again, just be kind of stuck in a little bit of that uh, you know, tailspin, especially if you don't understand exactly what you're signing up for. Um, so the process of budgeting and understanding you know, how money can work for you might be something that's missed on a lot of our youth. And so something you do is make sure that your students are financially literate. And I'm just wondering if, and I'm not sure how long you've been uh, teaching, but do you have an idea of the difference that learning financial literacy at a young age, instead of, you know, post student loan payments becoming due, uh, what difference does learning financial literacy at a young age uh, make over like, I don't know, the course of someone's life? Um, I think that a lot of the difference, especially when you think about a younger age, because the students that I get are typically juniors and seniors. Mm. Um, so they're kind of already going through that process of determining what they're going to be doing. Um, we do a little bit of discussion. I also have um, eighth grade students. So we do a little bit of talking about what is the actual value of money, but it's more so kind of introductory type stuff. Um, you know, how, how do you budget for an allowance that you may receive? Um, if we start talking about, you know, a $50,000 a year job for a, a middle schooler, sure. their, their grasp and understanding of what's going on, it, you know, it, it doesn't match with where they're kind of currently at intellectually. Um, so, so are you using, I, I don't want to interrupt you, but I am super curious about whether or not you, you're balancing checkbooks in your class or if it's like Venmo and Cash App transactions that you're, that you, you're all talking about. We do a little bit of both. And, you know, obviously you have to update and stay current with the technology and, you know, what are the kids actually using? Um, and it is Venmo and Cash App and a lot of them have things like that. But there are still, you know, the majority of them, they're, they're going to have a debit card. Um, they're going to need to understand how their checking account works. They're still using direct deposits. Um, so they still do have to have that understanding of how kind of their checking system works. Um, and then it's just kind of the overall understanding. So um, as an example, if you're thinking about for, um, you know, a, a young adult that might have a uh, debit card and they just check online, well, how much money do I have in it today? Um, and if you write a check on Monday, check it on Tuesday, um, and then go to buy something on Wednesday, well, the payment that you made on Monday may not have gone through yet. Mm -hmm. And a lot of, you know, kind of our, our younger adults and students, they might not understand that part. Well, it said on my screen that this is how much money I had. Why is that money not there yet? So we yeah. still, still do cover quite a bit with uh, checking accounts and how some of that works as well. Um, you know, my goal is that for all of my students that are exiting their junior year, um, hopefully they're going to have a checking account that they've created. And some of that comes from conversations that they're going to have to have with their parents at home. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to be signing off to be a, uh, you know, promissory for all the students. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm going to let them worry about that themselves, but it is, um, kind of the process that they need to work on having some of those conversations with their parents as well, too. Um, just because in, in our society, um, we, we kind of have a taboo when it comes to money discussions mm -hmm. um, and a lot of kind of at home situations, um, they might not be having those talks with their parents and all of a sudden now they become a junior or senior and they don't know what's necessarily available for them or what they're going to be able to do. Um, so if you're thinking about for younger kids in terms of what's going to benefit them, um, starting those conversations with, um, as a parent with your child is, is key for them to kind of 
get built up and get ready for some of those real world things that they're going to deal with. If you just kind of shelter them because, you know, and there could be a lot of reasons why you might not necessarily want to discuss money. There could be a little bit of embarrassment for it. There could be debt that you're taking on that you, you don't feel comfortable sharing with your um, children. There, there's a lot of difficulties around money, you know, in our society. Mm-hmm. But the only thing that you're doing by passing that off until a later age is potentially setting them behind to be in that same loop as well, too. Um, at least from what I've felt when I've had conversations with students is is that they do understand those things probably a lot better than they're going to get credit for. Um, and they do want to try to figure out ways that they can, you know, best set themselves up for success. How did you come into teaching financial literacy? Well, originally, uh, when I went to college, I was going to go to be an accountant. Um, I've always kind of had an interest in business. Um, I realized that probably at that point in my life, accounting was not exactly the career path for me. Um, I switched over and then went into uh, sport management. Um, So again, something related to business. And I've always kind of, whether it's kind of a nerdy passion that I have, like following the salary cap for like sports leagues is something that I find incredibly interesting. I was the guy that was sitting at home playing, um, you know, not actually playing, you know, the Madden football games, but rather running and operating the team. Um, sure. And then just skipping over the games. So that, that was kind of what <laughs> I found fun. Um, so I've always kind of had a passion for looking at money and um, finance that way. Um, then I got into, uh, as I said, sports management, started coaching a little bit and realized that if I wanted to continue coaching, um, in general, the path that you're going to have to head down is... Uh, um, teaching as well too. Oh, so I already had some, you know, a, a lot of classes completed already within education, um, or within business. So then it was easy for me to transition into business education. Um, I love discussions about finance. I, you know, I love investing personally. Um, every day that the kids come in the room, I typically have the uh, S and P 500, um, stock trackers up on, on oh. my board. Um, and occasionally I just have kids that pop in in between their classes, how are the stocks looking today. Um, so it, it's just something I've always found interesting, and I, I think a lot of the students tend to find that interesting as well, too. So you are available for more advanced conversations uh, on financial. I think that's still financial literacy. I think that, that still counts. Do you teach kids about stocks? Uh, we do. We actually spend a lot of time with stocks. And I've actually, um, so we have a DECA chapter here in Breckenridge as well, too, and we a participate in the stock market game. A DECA. So it is um, marketing, entrepreneurship, finance, business administration, um, and then kids have to do um, kind of professional presentations for it. Um, So they present to like an adult through like a role play scenario. um, And there's a variety of different categories that go into it. But one of the events that they can do is a stock market game. Um, So where they actually have to manage a portfolio of $100,000 over um, like a four month period of time. and we were fortunate enough uh, that last year we actually had uh, one team that finished fourth place in the state of Minnesota, which was pretty cool. Hey, look um, at that. So we, we, we spend a lot of time talking about stocks, and even if it's from the standpoint that, you know, how our business is doing and what actually generates the wealth that they have um, for those individual stocks, it's it can be a tough concept to grasp. Hmm. Um, but starting from there so that you know students can understand well why should i put my money into the stock market it's it's important to understand the whys rather than just dump it in Um, yeah so just just as an example of a mistake that i made when i was younger you know i um you know knew that i want to put my money into a roth ira tax advantaged account um and then i threw it into my account not realizing that then I had to transfer it into individual um, index funds from that point. So I actually just left it in like a money market account for about three months, generating no interest. Oh, Um, sure. So kind of that to me is why we need to understand, you know, why do we put it in businesses so that we can generate money through the stocks and things like that. Um, Because I I guess I can look back and three months of interest I've missed out on now, so. I mean, I would have no idea, I don't think, without <laughs> without someone letting me know that, you know, Jerome, the money you put in there isn't doing anything. <laughs> you, have to, you have to click more buttons. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I was unaware. Yeah. <laughs> so people, um, people, do adults come to you for 
if not financial advice per se, but just like, like, do they seek your counsel? Because I'm, it sounds like you really know what you're talking about when it comes to, uh, dollars and cents. So the first thing when I talk with a new, uh, a new teacher that we hire hmm. is I ask them, have you worked on your Roth IRA? Have you decided what you're doing for your 403B? Um, so we have, that's one of the first conversations that I generally have with, uh, some of our new teachers. Um, yeah. So I guess, yeah, there, there are adults there. Um, I talk a lot of stocks, especially around like the, uh, you know, lunch table and stuff like that with some of my coworkers. Um, and then I do have a number of yeah friends and family that just kind of check in and say, Hey, you know, what's, what's, what's the new stock that we should be looking at and what's the new thing that we should be investing in. Um, and then, uh, I guess I'm fortunate that I still stay in touch with a number of my graduated students. And I think that it kind of hits them a little bit more, especially at the age mm-hmm. of you know, maybe around 22 and all of a sudden I'll get a text message and you message something about uh, a Roth IRA. Could you just kind of repeat that again? <laughs> I remember discussing it, but need a little bit more information. Now um, you are but, not and, the, I'm sorry, you're not the human resources person at your uh, place of work. And so for you to be giving, you know, those pointers is really interesting to new teachers. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and it's more so just from a place of, uh, um, yeah, just a place of that they need to yeah, being a good person. Kind of put some of that like, stuff together. So. <laughs> it's like, hey, this is confusing. People need help. So. <laughs> well, I really appreciate you coming on and um, giving us some help uh, because it sounds like there's a lot to mine mm-hmm. here, a lot of valuable information. But let's first take a quick coffee break. I think come back, and I think you're going to – I don't know if we decided that you were going to do a test or run through a project, but it'll be one of the two, and I'm interested in both. So, be right back. Hey, everybody. Bivalent boosters are now available. You can schedule your appointment through your primary care physician, or if you're in Minnesota, you can go to the state-run vaccination sites at the Mall of America in Duluth, St. Paul, Rochester, and Moorhead. Disability accommodations are available upon request at those state-run sites. Right now, most people are not up to date on their boosters and we need to turn that around as we go into the cold season. Please get boosted. You do not want COVID-19. It's just not worth the risk. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. back with Derek Gron, not Gran, Gron, <laughs> and we are talking financial literacy. And I think we're going to go through uh, a project. Is that right? Because you don't teach lessons in your class. Lessons are, that's so 90s. We're, we're all done with lessons. So it's just all projects and thinking about how do we work through real world scenarios. Because really, I mean, doesn't matter if you know the definition when it comes to uh, something, you know, financial literacy. No, I want to know how to do stuff. I don't want to know what the definitions are. So we've changed it up a little bit. Okay. It has been quite some time since I've been in a, in the classroom. So (laughs) that's fair. I'm learning. I'm learning. Uh, So, okay. Run me through a scenario or give me a project and let's see how I do. All right, so uh, one of the projects that we go through is um, thinking about what sort of investment strategies and how we want to start using some of our money. So let's say, um, you know, you get that big raise at your job, you get a promotion, you know, all that good stuff that now we have a little bit, little bit more left over than we may have had before. Um, so let's just problem. say that we had a situation. Yeah, a wonderful problem. Um, so let's say that we have a situation that, you know, you have your mortgage that you've taken out at, you know, let's just say ballpark, we'll give it a 5% mortgage rate. Um, Let's say that you have um, some credit card debt. And let's say that that's going to be, you know, $3,000 that you've taken out to buy, let's just say like a new fridge, um, some kitchen appliances, things like that did a little bit of a remodel. um, And you got $3,000, let's just say sitting around at 15%. Um, and in addition to that, you're deciding now, how do you want to start saving and building for your future? 
Um, you're thinking maybe you might want to uh, save up to put a down payment on a new lake place, something along those lines. Okay. Now, that might be 10 years down the road, but we got to start thinking about that today. Okay. Yeah. So let's just say that we have some extra money sitting around. Um, so I'll pose a question to you. You have that extra money around. Um, what would be the first thing that you think that you should attack? Uh, well, I immediately, I think I need to congratulate myself on getting that raise. Uh, very <laughs> well done me. I think I'm going to take myself out to get some coffee or some wine. Um, <laughs> but I will not spend uh, the entirety of my raise on the party. Uh, I, I, to me, personally, the credit card debt is the scariest thing. And um, $3,000 is a reasonable amount. And I would probably take... Uh, whatever my extra was, um, because presumably if I've got a house and I was doing some remodeling and I'm thinking about saving for another home, then there's some extra money coming in for every paycheck or what have you. And I would pay down my credit card. All right. So what I love about this type of a scenario is there's not always a right answer. Yeah. So in Dang some it. person's <laughs> scenario... Um, that, that would be the perfect decision. I mean, you're looking at the interest, you're not worrying about any of those issues. Um, but let's just say that, you know, the scenario, if, if you had to go through and remodel your kitchen because you had a fridge that broke, broke down and you're thinking that immediately you're swiping on your credit card. Mm -hmm. Well, probably the first place that I would stop by and say is, um, you know, have you thought about is an emergency fund set up for you yet? So this mm -hmm. way, if we're thinking about that, a problem occurs where maybe your fridge goes down or you know, water heater, whatever it may be, some sort of big thing arrives, are you going to have money to take care of you first so you don't have to swipe that credit card again? Now, assuming that that was all in place and you decided to run it through the uh, credit card anyways, maybe you're building up points, getting a flight so you can head back out to D.C. again and check out the rest of the sites, <laughs> um, then you might, you know, then you might want to jump in and, and pay that off pretty quickly. Um so let's say that now we've taken care of that credit card. Oh my gosh! We've got our emergency okay. fund set up. Okay, <laughs> what would be the uh, what would be the next place that you'd think that you'd want to put some of that extra money? I I would probably start saving for my uh, lake house um, because uh, the mortgage is usually the first house is usually the biggest. Uh, expenditure that a person makes in their lives and so the amount of that that dollar amount would probably be like enormous and, pay, and depending on the size of that raise it's more likely that I would save enough money for that uh, second mortgage on the lake uh, than I would uh, ever get to enjoy it by paying off my mortgage my first mortgage all right all right so then uh the final question that I'm going to give, give you. So this is now to pass the class. All right. Okay. You're saving up. You're saving up for that new place. Yeah. How are you going to choose to save that money? What are you going to store it in and where are you going to tuck it away in to get the most bang for your buck? Mm. Uh, under the mattress. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I've got these coffee jars just stuffed with 20s. Um, <laughs> I would probably... Uh, Invest it in the stock market. Um, you know, buy low, maybe never sell until I'm really ready <laughs> to to get that new place. Final answer. All right, all right. There we go. And hopefully, hopefully that decision is that you're going to diversify and throw it into index index funds. Um, yeah. But so again, that's kind of the process that we want to start thinking about. Is we're in order to be financially literate and start building up some of those, um, you know, good thought processes, mm -hmm. we got to be thinking 5, 10, 20, 30 years down the road. And we got to be thinking about what can I do today to reward, you know, the, um, you know, the Jerome that's approaching his retirement. Yeah. That's how we want to start thinking about our financial literacy. Future um, Jerome. Make some sacrifices today and then, <laughs> you know, build up and get those rewards later down the road. Um, and I think that that's what a lot of uh, people kind of miss out on. They think about, I have to take care of everything today. I want to take that trip today. Mm -hmm. I want to do all of this fun stuff today. Mm -hmm. And then you fast forward five, 10 years, and you realize that you're a little bit behind from where you should be. 
I will say you got me really good on that emergency fund uh, note because we bought the fixer upper that I'm in now and it needed so much fixing <laughs> after we bought it. The water heater was done. There were these drop tiles in the ceiling that were like moldy and gross. Uh, uh, certainly if we had not kept some money aside for uh, emergencies, then we'd have had a real problem. We'd been, we'd been living in squalor and nobody wants that, Derek. Nobody wants that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. So that's always the number one thing. Think about, uh, you know, worst case scenario, you want to have some money set aside. So if you lose your job, you know, some major issue comes up, you know, unfortunately you break your leg in a biking accident, can't go mm -hmm. into work. Well, how are you going to take care of yourself? Um, and again, that's some of the thought process that you want to get into. Um, even six months down the road, are you going to be able to care for yourself in case of one of those emergencies? Fascinating. Now, do you have... Um... Okay, so I'm, I'm taking it back to a previous job that I didn't like. Uh, <laughs> what I started doing, because I, I didn't have any major investments that I was planning on, is I started saving up some FU money. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I was there and I was unhappy and I was like, one of these days, I know I'm just going to like, <laughs> I will have had it. I will have had it and I will leave. And that day did come. <laughs> And luckily, I had saved up enough, not just for emergencies, but so that I could leave and be comfortable and not have my boyfriend at the time, now husband, break up with me for walking out of my job. And, and I think you just hit exactly, to me, what financial literacy is. Um, mm. Just exactly. Um, it's the freedom that you get. You yeah. budgeting and you saving and putting that money aside, it should not be seen as a punishment that you have to stick to a budget, but rather it now gave you the freedom to feel comfortable when, um, you know, that we'll say F you moment came up, <laughs> you were then able to, uh, you were able to then leave that and, and still be able to feel comfortable with your life. Yeah. I say, I give the same advice to my, um, generally, generally they're female friends. I'm like, I love that you're getting married. I love that for you. That's wonderful. Oh, you don't think you have to work anymore? Okay, well, just you just put some money to the side that he doesn't know about because you never know what the future will bring. And worst case scenario, you just have some extra money lying around. Yeah, that, that would be a nice, uh, you know, 10, 20 year anniversary, wouldn't it? Yeah. To say, hey, we got 20, <laughs> we got 20 grand laying around. Let's, let's take a big trip. We um, made it. You didn't know about you this, but congratulations. <laughs> it's still mine. It still belongs to me, but we can have fun with it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so I'm not sure that there are uh, too many kids listening. There might be. If you are uh, a child and you're listening to this, please let me know at Jerome T. Evans on social media. Um, but I know we've got parents... I know we've got some queer aunts and uncles and like you said, financial literacy and talking money can be a little weird. So do you find, like, do we have like a responsibility as family to help teach financial literacy to our nieces and nephews and non-gendered offspring? Or is it more like, you know... <laughs> Do your take care of yourself first, and then uh, if you can take care of other people, then maybe that's what you should look into. So I am. Uh, I, I'm going to say that I'm, for this point in my life, I'm fortunate that I don't have any kids of my own. I'm able to take care of myself financially first, mm -hmm. but I do have uh, a couple nieces who I you know love dearly, and that's something that I really hope for them is that they're going to be able to um, get the best of their life in their future too. And to me, part of that is a little bit of the, as you said, it's kind of the responsibility to make sure that you're setting them up for success in their, in their future lives. Um, I think part of that is that when you do um, have some of those discussions, so, you know, just some simple things that you could think of that you could do. Maybe it's not buying them the, you know, the biggest or newest toy, but thinking about how can you start to implement some of those life lessons hmm. um, into some of the conversations that you have 
um, while still making it fun and engaging for them as well. So just kind of as an example, you know, my um, my nieces, they're very interested in like uh, Disney and all that other fun stuff. Um, so as an example, let's watch a movie together. And, um, you know, for Christmas, then I will buy you a, a stock of Disney. And then, you know, once, you know, once a year, we can look back and say, hey, this is why Disney's doing well. This is, you know, the new movie that came out. And now we can see the stock prices going up. And just starting to build some of those thought processes um, yeah. allows them then to start um, developing their own mindset where all of a sudden now money and finances isn't just some foreign thing to them. Um, otherwise, you know, another simple way is if you think about, well, um, you know, your, your birthday's coming up today. Um, you know, Christmas is going to be around the corner and let's just say that, uh, I will give you a $20 gift today. Otherwise, let's see if we can hold off. And if you choose not to get that gift today, I'll get you a $50 gift for Christmas. So something oh a little gosh. bit bigger, a little bit nicer, you know, seeing some of those, those compound interest things that they could get, um, and starting to be able to get a little bit more of that delayed gratification. Um, which, in a large part, that's what you no know, investing and planning is. These were um, not the gifts that I received when I was younger. <laughs> my 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 gifts my gifts that I got. Um, you know, you maybe got the little savings bond from, um, you know, an aunt or an uncle where it's going to mature in twenty years and your five dollars is going to go to ten dollars. So that was a big, you did, know, a big yeah. thing. Um, but it, it's. I feel that you're missing out on a lot of those conversations and ways to start building those successful habits for kids um, by just giving them something like that and then not having those conversations surrounding it. Um, so like I said, if, if, you know, if they're into Disney, let's watch a Disney movie together. Let's see how um, you know, they'll, they'll enjoy that part of it. And then let's just talk a little bit about why is Disney a good company for you to potentially invest in? Um, let's just say if they're a fan of Barbie, well, let's, let's get them a, you know, a Mattel stock. And we can see that this is continuing to go up over time. Well, why is that happening? Hmm. Um, and not necessarily you know, telling them directly how that's occurring, but posing some of those questions and getting some of our inquisitive minds to, to start working. And maybe that's the teacher in me, and you know, I, sure. I, want, I want them to learn. Um, but that's a good thing to start building some of those habits in, um, you know, in our youth. It's, it's always a good thing to continue learning. I'm like, well, hey, that's why you're here. You're here to, to again, drop some knowledge and teach <laughs> us some stuff. Um, one thing that I caught, and I don't know if anyone else um, will be as interested, but for uh, learning about stocks, you suggest one stock in a particular company. But in our earlier scenario on the test, Professor uh, <laughs> Gran, um, you suggested that it will be better to invest in an index fund um, to diversify rather than in individual stocks. And I wonder if you could speak just a little bit into uh, why that might be. So I love that you caught that because that's something that uh, is a little bit more advanced when we start getting with our uh, with my students. Hmm. Um, so Thank I... And, <laughs> Gold star for me. There you go. <laughs> um, but no, I, I, I love the concept when you start thinking about diversification. And I will save all of the boring math surrounding this um, related to investment strategies and things like that. But basically what your goal is when you think about um, investing within like a certain industry is you want to have roughly someplace between 50 to 100 different companies that you are going to invest in. And it helps start to um, protect you from different types of systemic risks that you could associate with those companies. Mm -hmm. So as an example, the pandemic, um, the war in Russia, all of those kind of big things that can occur, those are going to impact all companies kind of regardless of what sector that they're in. Yeah. Um, however, if you think about for individual companies, you can have risks that could occur um, that could then drive their profits down and drive their prices down and make you lose value on some of those different individual stocks. So diversification is basically you going through the process of eliminating a lot of those areas um, of risk that you could have. Um, so just kind of thinking of, um, you know, as an example, if we think about uh, two companies and I realize that they're uh, one's European and one's American, but let's say if you invested in like Nike and Adidas, okay? okay. And let's say that Nike runs into an issue um, where their, you know, profits are going to gonna downslide. 
well, realistically, what's the company that's probably going to catch some of the uh, some of the growth then because their company is going down? Probably going to be one of their main competitors in Adidas. So if I'm investing in a shoe company um, and shoe industry as a whole, rather than just specifically looking at one company and hoping that it does well, I start to mitigate some of those risks and still gain the profits that the entire shoe industry is going to have. Um, so that's that's kind of the basics of how I would put diversification. Um, yeah. Putting your money in the largest you know companies in the U.S. so the S and P five hundred index funds in general. Um, so I, I'm just I'm just going to ask a very general question, but uh, oh, you're going to ask me a question? Yep. So that's very general question for here. you. Just kidding. Go ahead. Um, <laughs> but if 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 you were looking at um, the U.S. market as a whole, um, have we ever reached a point of complete cataclysmic failure for the stock market not complete okay not and, it has not gone down to zero and now this might be an interesting fact for you but over any seven year period of time in the history of the u.s's economy um the stock market has always gone up over that seven year period of time true i believe um Individual stocks, we might not necessarily see that. You know, Blockbuster's gone because they couldn't compete with Netflix. But over any seven-year period of time, the market always goes up. You might catch some of those bad points. You might catch some of those riskier moments. But in general, when you put it into the index funds, you're Mm -hmm. always going to generate a profit. Um, it's, It's difficult if you are trying to pick out those 50 to 100 diversified companies yourself. Um, unless you want to be a full-time uh, day trader, which I wouldn't necessarily recommend, um, trusting and just putting your money into an index fund would be the best way to diversify your money. So earlier when I said index funds, safest way as an adult to invest. For our young kids, if we want to teach them about the excitement about investing, maybe picking out an individual stock, something that you can look at and talk about would be a better way to go. Now, aren't isn't there in between, like, isn't there like a type of index fund maybe i'm putting quotes around it but i might not need to put quotes around it it's like specific to an industry so there's like a movies all movies uh fund or maybe all shoes uh industry industry fund am i making that up or is that real that's real so yeah um oftentimes when you look at like some of those types of funds um they might be a little bit more managed um rather than where it's something that um you know, they, they don't necessarily just throw it into the industry as a whole. They might be picking out certain companies within that industry that they're investing in. So just you as an example. Oh, go ahead. You first. Uh, as an example, one of my favorite types of index funds. So I use this as an example with my kids all the time because it kind of connects with them a little bit. There is the, um, how is it worded? It's the basic white girl index fund. Oh my God. <laughs> where it's looking at and and so Take my money you, you look I, I mean look at it online you, you can find the uh you can find all the companies that it's invested in um so it's looking at it's your starbucks it's your target it's your lululemon mm-hmm. it's like all of those companies that in general if you were to look at um you know your average um you know 20 to 30 year old um you know woman would probably be purchasing Sure. And if you look at kind of trends in terms of um, investment strategies and marketing strategies, that's one of our highest purchasing power groups that's out there. They're looking to spend money in different types of discretionary areas. Um, and if you look at the index fund, it, it just kind of tracks some of that movement. So um, when when I start naming off those companies, it's always kind of funny because all of a sudden, you know, a lot of the... Uh, a lot of the gals then in my class are like, oh, yeah, I buy all those. So um, <laughs> I guess following those trends is a good way to go. A follow-up question. So single stock for uh, your youngest people is a good way to teach. And then um, an index fund for my individual saving. But would you consider like the basic, uh, basic white girl index fund to be a more advanced uh, type of investing than like a general like NASDAQ or um, national, let's say national American uh, index fund? Um, it would be. And okay. you, you run into a little bit more risk as soon as you start breaking away from some of those uh, more diversified accounts. It's all about the risk. 
and and you, then it should be all about the return. The more risks oh, that you're yeah. taking, hopefully we're going to be able to generate more returns from it. Um, now, the more that you get into some of those more actively managed accounts, um, so if you're paying someone to manage your money, like a financial advisor, something along those lines, they give you a lot of peace of mind, but they're also going to take a little bit of percentage for that as well, too. Mm -hmm. um, so as an example, um, if you were looking at from a basic, you know, math strategy standpoint, you said um, basic, I didn't know how you were going to finish your sentence. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, so thinking about like a um, half percentage that they might take of the profits that you're going to generate, right? Okay. So half percent, you might look at it and you're like, well, that doesn't come out to be all that much money. Um, I feel comfortable where I'm, I'm just going to go to an actively managed account. So thinking about um, one of those types of funds that might be managed. Um, but then when you do the math for it, and again, I use as an example with my um, younger students that they might have 44 years, let's just say if they're 16, they start investing today until they reach retirement age. Um, that half percent, if they're investing in the general market, gaining average returns that we've seen over the last you know 100 years, um, would end up costing them almost close to about a uh, quarter million dollars. Oh. Um, so a small percentage, Gracious. when we're thinking about compounding interest, makes a massive amount of difference. Um, so when you are using some of those more actively managed funds, you are going to be paying for it in the long term as well. But the nice thing about that is you don't have to worry about the day-to-day-to-day -to -day -to -day headaches yeah. of trying to manage it yourself. Um, so Warren Buffett, Warren Buffett, one of my favorite investing um, managers that's out there, he's got Berkshire Hathaway. Um, yeah, I hear he's owns, pretty good. Yeah, I, I, think, I think he does all right. Um, but just as an example, he had a challenge that he issued, I think it was over a 10-year period of time, that any fund manager that could beat the S&P 500, he would give them a million dollars. Oh, wow. Um, so anyone that could beat it over a 10-year period of time, beat the U.S. economy, beat the market, he'd give them a million dollars. So, trivia question then, how many individuals do you think beat that? Well... He's, you know, a pretty smart guy. I don't think he's accustomed to giving away a million bucks. I'm going to say like five. Grand total of zero individuals. Really? The ah. U.S. economy, the U.S. economy and the U.S. stock market is very, very, very efficient in terms of picking out the right decisions. Huh. Um, and in general, you're going to see that those, um, you know, the, the actively managed funds don't always correlate with getting better returns. You're making guesses and humans are emotional and the way mm -hmm. that we think about our investing strategy, you can have some of those panic moments. So as an example, if, if you've been taking a look at the stock market uh, relatively recently, we're kind, of, we're kind of hitting some bad points right now. Yeah. Um, and the stock market's been sliding down. Um, so there's the strategy. I mean, if you wanted to panic and sell and hopefully wait that you can catch it when it goes a little bit lower, um, you might run into some difficulties if all of a sudden it rebounds and goes back up. If we think back to um, you know May of 2020, the stock market took a massive hit. And then literally a month later, it was hitting all-time record highs. Um, the market does not exactly act rationally at all times, and yeah. it's hard to predict um, which way it's going to move. If we could predict that perfectly, all of us would be millionaires right now. So <laughs> I don't watch the market on a, even a a monthly basis for that reason. I would not, I do not consider myself to be a rational actor when it comes to those investments. And I'm like, ah! <laughs> and, and so for you then, that's where financial literacy would come back and tell agree, us that a, agree. a smart move for you, instead of trying to think that you want to go through all those emotional swings, you know, trust the general market and just trust yeah. that you're going to be able to put your money in there Don't and feel content it. and safe with that. Um, if it's giving you a heartache to have to look at when you go up and down 5% in a given day, um, not everyone wants to have to think about that. So yeah. instead, that's where index funds would probably come into a better better play for you. Yeah, so far, so good. Uh, <laughs> knock on wood. <laughs> well, that's been, this has been uh, fantastic. I'm, I feel like I'm learning even more than I signed up for. And I'm already, in my mind, I'm like plotting your return <laughs> to teach us more things. But let's take a coffee break for now and then be right back. All right. All right, we are back. This is Bottomless Coffee. 
Our guest is Derek Gron, and uh, we have learned a lot about financial literacy today, uh, more than we signed up for. I would say that this was a good investment on our part. <laughs> Low risk, lots of reward, lots. Uh, Derek, thank you so much for being here. This was really valuable information. I'm really grateful. Um, and what I like to do towards the end of these conversations is just ask, you know, is there one thing that you want to make sure our audience takes away from our conversation? Well, I think the one thing that I would say is that, you know, all the members of our audience should understand that while it might be difficult to kind of start getting into that process of, you know, thinking about our finances, especially if, you know, you've, you've gone through a difficult point or anything along mm -hmm. those lines, is it's, it's never too late to start taking control of your own finances and taking control of what you're, you know, you hope your future to be. Um, you know, we talked a lot about kids and young adults and things like that. And a lot of our budgeting and financial literacy should be grounded in, um, you know, discipline. And it mm. takes practice to go through this. And it's going to be frustrating the first one or two or 15 times that you create a budget. And sticking to those practices is what's going to be able to help you in the long term. A budget should never be something that you should view as a punishment. It should be something that you're going to be able to use to help free yourself in your future. Um, yeah. When you start to take control and you say, you know what, I've recognized that maybe I'm spending a little bit too much money on um, restaurant expenses and going out to eat. Um, maybe I need to cut back in some of those areas so that I can save, so that I can save up for that, uh, you know, nice lake place that I want to have in my future. Yeah. Um, and it all starts someplace. As soon as you start taking command and realizing and seeing some of those gains that you can get, it becomes a lot easier. And all of a sudden now you're going to start taking some of those money stresses away that otherwise may have frustrated you and, you know, cause you to lose sleep and other things along those lines. Um, getting a strong understanding of where your finances are is going to set you up for a better life in your future. Well, thank you so much. I got to tell you, I was not planning on buying uh, a lake home before this conversation. <laughs> um, but I think if I invest properly, perhaps in the basic white girls uh, fund, <laughs> then <laughs> I can get in a beautiful house with a great coffee maker. Uh, and then we can invite people up like yourself and have some really fantastic conversations. That'd be really fun. That, that would be nice. We could have... Uh you know, the podcast take place at, you know, on the lake. That'd there you go. Fun. Business expense. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Thank you so much. You're definitely coming back because I've got more to learn and you've got more to teach. Uh, but until uh, next time. Yeah. Thank you very much for having me on this. This was a pleasure to be a part of. Yay. I'm glad you liked it. Thanks, everybody. I'll see you next episode.